Good morning. My name is Teresa Davenport. This morning, our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 40, from the New Revised Standard Version. Now I'm supposed to smile and wait four seconds. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mom, for reading scripture today. That was my mom. Well, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. My name, oh yeah, you can say it back, Merry Christmas. Great. My name is Elise Steele, and for those of you who do not know me, I am an ordained minister with the Covenant Church. I am Pastor Julie Steele's daughter-in-law, the wife to her son, Ben. Ben and I recently relocated back here to God's country from Chicago, Illinois, which is not God's country, (laughs) this past summer. I was raised in this neck of the woods just south of here in the glorious capital of Olympia, I did my undergraduate work at Linfield College down in Oregon and my Master's of Divinity at North Park Theological Seminary. Currently, I work at Costco Travel as I am between pastoral calls. However, the longer I work for Costco, the more of an evangelist I become for that company. I can tell you about all our different many memberships after the service. (laughs) I am expecting our first child, a baby girl. She is due to come out of here May 1st or anywhere around that date. 
Ben and I went to seminary together, and I can honestly say it was not love at first sight. Unfortunately, I can barely remember meeting him, and Ben remembers me as the annoying girl that asked the professors too many questions. It was not until our third year of seminary that we even started hanging out with one another, and eventually we started dating. It very much took me by surprise that Ben Steele would be a suitor for me. He did not meet my original expectations or standards of who my husband was to be. You see, when I was in my early 20s, a girlfriend and I got together and we decided to make a list of what our future husbands should be like. I've come to realize now that these lists are often inflated views of one's own self. And it basically boils down to our perfect mate in our ideal minds is the best qualities of ourselves. For me, I figured my future husband would be a fashionable dresser. Well, for those of you who know Ben, he has a unique sense of style. There are times that he is definitely fashionable, and there are other times he is very far from it like his tablecloth shirt from Africa with a bunch of Santa Clauses on it. I figured my future mate would be an extreme feeler like me and always take into consideration the feelings of another. Ben is a thinker. A perfect example of this is in the period of my pregnancy where I was gaining weight but had no baby bump appeared. I asked Ben, do I look fat or pregnant? Side note, to this question, every person should always answer a hormonal pregnant woman, you look beautiful and pregnant. Ben's response was, well, I know you're pregnant. Thus insinuating the answer was, you look fat. (laughs) And being that I love to bake, I figured my future husband would love my baked goods. Well, unless it is a meat pie... Ben does not really like desserts. He would prefer second dinner. I thought my husband would be three years older than me. Ben is three years younger. I thought he would be six foot three. Very specific. Ben is five foot nine. And the list goes on. I say all these things and now can laugh at how my expectations were thwarted by who my future husband ended up to be. But at the time, it created some hurdles in me for allowing myself to love this person that was so different than what I thought I wanted. It made it hard for me to accept Ben as a good fit for my lifelong partner when I had created an ideal that was unrealistic and ultimately my former expectations would have made a terrible match with me. It seems within our human nature to create expectations We can probably all think of times in our lives where we have expectations that didn't happen the way that we thought they would. We have expectations of what Christmas will be like, of what our gifts will be, and how people will receive the things that we give them. We have expectations of when certain milestones will happen for us in life, of when we will have children, careers, marriage. It's habit for us to make expectations. We do the same thing with God and Jesus. We expect Jesus to be a certain way. And here is a perfect example of that from Hollywood.
Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd not putting a pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky. Okay. Dear eight-pound... Six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money <laughs> that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say the Powerade is delicious, mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Amen. If I am honest, I like to picture my Jesus as a plump grandfather who constantly has a plate of frosted sugar cookies and wants to hear all about my day and make everything better. Now this clip that I showed you is a bit of an exaggeration statement of how we expect Jesus to be or how we picture him, little tiny baby infant Jesus. But once we take a closer look, this parody might not be too far off from how we picture him this day. How many pictures have you seen of Jesus where he looks like a white man? The vast majority of them are this way. But in actuality, Jesus was Middle Eastern. We have a tendency to make Jesus in our own image and put on him expectations that his desires would be our own desires rather than vice versa. If we want a nice home, a large 401k and plenty of money in the bank, we expect that's what Jesus wants too often negating for Christ's desire for those who are hungry to have food or those who are enslaved by another's abuse of power, that they would be free. Our expectation is that our own need comes first in the economy of God. Many of you may have seen the bumper sticker that reads, Jesus is, and then there's a blank space for you to fill in. When you see that bumper sticker, what word or image would you fill in the blank? For some, it may be savior, friend, nice guy, maybe lunatic, 
or wimp or a make-believe story. For the first century Jews, their sticker would read, the Messiah is fill-in-the-blank. And for many of them, the blank would state, all-powerful, mighty ruler, the one who will overthrow Rome. Their Jesus might have looked something more like this. Which is probably Ben's ideal of what Jesus looks like as well. Because the people of Israel had a vastly different expectation of who the Messiah would be than who Jesus was, many of them had a hard time accepting him as Lord. Throughout Jesus' life, many doubted or didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah, even when they had seen him perform great miracles. So I'd imagine an even smaller number would recognize the Savior in an infant child. So how exactly did Simeon and Anna from our gospel lesson this morning recognize the magnitude of who this child was? We read that Simeon's response upon seeing the infant is, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light to revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And we read that the prophet Anna gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. As one commentator put it, without so much as a nod from a passing seraph, an angel, Simeon looks at this tiny scrap of a baby and sees the salvation of the world. The commentator goes on to say, and if the popular proverb in our culture is seen is believing, the adage doesn't seem to apply to Simeon and Anna. The opposite seems to have been true of these two. They believed, so they were able to see more than the obvious. In this infant, Anna and Simeon see salvation and redemption for all humanity. How is it possible that these two knew? We are given key clues within scripture to who Simeon and Anna are. It is stated here in Luke's gospel that Simeon was a righteous and devout, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It is evident that Simeon was a faithful follower of God and trusted God would deliver God's people from the brokenness of this world. And we know that Simeon is a man after God's own heart when his song of praise is about the salvation of all people, both Jews and Gentiles. He is not focused on his own needs, but the needs of all humanity. Simeon devoted his life to knowing God instead of creating unfounded expectations of what he expected God to be. And we are told that Anna the prophet, that she is advanced in years. We know she is a widow after only seven years of marriage and since that time has never left the temple but worshipped God fasting and praying day and night. She too devoted her life to knowing God. Both Simeon and Anna had relationships with God that were not based on fantasy, 
but on the reality of who God is. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They trusted and hoped in a God who works on behalf of all, not just a select few. In living their lives the way that they did, they recognized God upon seeing him in an infant. We then should ask ourselves, how do our own expectations of God blind us from seeing Christ within our lives? If I am to be honest, my expectations of how God should act are the most demanding of any relationship I have. Ben and I have had a rough 2015. We both had challenging pastoral calls. We lived through the horrendous Chicago winter. There were some serious health issues within our family. And we lost two babies to miscarriage. I expected God would bring us back here to Washington, and we'd immediately land in perfect pastoral calls. We'd find a home we could buy. Snoqualmie and Olympia would magically be only 10 minutes away from each other, so we would be close to both sides of our families, and everything that troubled us would be wiped away. Instead, we came home unemployed, and our Gracious parents took us in. Ben eventually found a job at Bellevue Christian Schools, which has has begun a great fit for him. But I still had no call. In the early months of coming back, I focused on how God had failed us and did not perform the way I expected God to. But what that did is it blinded me to see all the ways in which God was so present and was providing. We always had enough. Our bills were paid. We had a roof over our head, thanks to Pan, to San, to Sana, who rents us a beautiful space that is just minutes from my work. I do have a job and a company that I can believe in and support, We have a loving church family who welcomed us home with loving arms. I have a healthy, growing baby girl who grows within me, who threads our lives with hope and joy. And most of all, we get to see our families on a regular basis, which is what I had longed for for so long in Chicago. If our expectations of God is that God is our own personal superhero or genie, granting our wishes and making life as comfortable as possible until Christ returns or we enter the life to come, I fear we will be unable to recognize the presence of Christ now or when he returns. For when Christ returns, I don't think it will be to high-end shopping sitters or places of privilege, power, and prestige. If we learn anything from the gospel accounts, of Christ's life here on earth, I believe Jesus would return to the disenfranchised, the broken, and the sick, to the hospitals and the prisons and the impoverished areas of our world, places I believe Christ wishes all of us had a heart for. If we are able to learn anything from Simeon and Anna, it is the ability to recognize Christ in our midst in the most unusual form. In order to do so, one must know God, 
And to know God is to spend time with God. This Christmas, let us free ourselves of unrealistic expectations that divert us from the reality of who God actually is. As we anticipate God's return, may we turn our hearts and minds into delving into a relationship with one whose ways are not our ways, or thoughts are thoughts. May we familiarize ourselves with the reality of who God says God is, and in doing so, receive the greatest gift the world has ever been given, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.